0: It's the 18th of April 2021, I'm talking about this process which produces suffering in the heart, that this dukkha comes from causes and conditions. This is what the Buddha taught, that all phenomena have causes which bring it about, and the suffering is the same, it has a father and a mother which is these causes and conditions. And these causes are um, avidja, or not knowing. So we see that the word vidja, what that means is knowledge or knowing. And then if we add the word a in front of it, um, in Bali that negates um, the, um, the word that follows it. So avijja means not knowing, to not have knowledge. Um, And so it's the mind that doesn't know in line with truth. And this doesn't happen anywhere else. It doesn't happen in any other person. It happens right here within our own minds. And uh, so this process which um, brings about suffering is something that the mind doesn't understand. There are sankharas, um, these conditioned phenomena, which then go on to vinyana, sense consciousness, and then physicality and mentality come up. And there's contact, uh, the eye, uh, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the heart. These are the internal sense organs, and these meet with external sense media, uh, that of forms and sounds and odours, uh, taste, tactile sensations, and thoughts, and emotions. And when these two contact each other, then there is feeling that arises. If they don't contact, then no feeling comes up. So Lumpur Chā gave the teaching that it's like if we're sitting next to a lime, we don't experience any sourness, even though the lime is sour, and that's because... Uh, the there's no meeting of the external sense media and the uh, internal sense organs. So there's no pasa that arrives. So there's no feeling of sourness that comes up. And if there is that feeling of sourness, it's because we take that lime and we touch it to the tongue. And so there's this feeling that arises. And the heart, the mind, it receives that Uh, impression of sourness. But if uh, our nerves to the tongue aren't working, then there won't be any feeling that comes up. So when there's the feeling of sourness that arises, there's vijnana, the sense consciousness, which knows that, and the mind then receives um, that impression. And then it replies to it or responds to it with either liking or disliking. And so there's Vedana, this feeling that comes up. Uh, But these things are separate. Uh, The sense consciousness, vinyana and the mind, they're two different things. If there's no um, contact or the tongue isn't working, it's not functioning properly, uh, then there it doesn't... Uh, receive that sense impression, and so no vijnana arises. Uh, But the mind still knows that there is no feeling there, there's no contact, no sense impression there. So we see that the sense consciousness and the mind, they're two different things, they're not the same thing. And it's uh, the same with sight as well, Um, that if we see something, Uh, then vijnana arises there. Um, And there's this um, receptivity of the mind that it receives, this image. And then the mind goes and attaches to that, that I am the one that sees. So we can see with people who have uh, problems with their brains, uh, there may be some dysfunction or disorder within the brain, or perhaps one part of the brain is just not functioning at all. And uh, the mind can give orders to the brain, in telling the body to stand, for it to walk, for it to lie down, for it to sit, uh, telling the body to say certain things or to eat. Uh, but because the brain isn't working, the body just doesn't respond, it doesn't function in this way. And uh, perhaps the nerves... Um, they're not functioning properly in the brain. And so uh, the body doesn't respond appropriately. Or well, for some people, maybe half of their face can just go numb um, because of these uh, problems in the brain. And uh, even though there may be um, something kind of jabbing them, but the mind doesn't feel any pain at that point. But we take this, um, all of this still, to be a self, that I'm the one who feels pain, or I'm the one that doesn't feel pain. So if we see something, then we attach to that, that I see. If we don't see something, then it's still me who doesn't see. So there's always this self there that's appearing. And this comes from the, um, well, this leads on to attachment. And so there's this ignorance, this craving, and this attachment leading on to liking and disliking, and then becoming birth arise. And this is this is what pushes up suffering. And then when suffering appears already, this then flows backwards. It becomes the causes and conditions for other things, the cause for birth to appear. And then that becomes the cause for becoming. And then this in turn becomes the cause for attachment and then craving. And then it goes right back to the beginning and then it flows back again so it goes back and forth in this way but it happens extremely quickly and for those people who don't have much wisdom they're not e- able to see every step as it's happening and the gave the comparison to it's like someone who's falling out of a tree and it's only when they hit the ground that they know what's going on they know that they've fallen and they know that it hurts but they weren't able to count all the branches on the way down. But for people who have a lot of wisdom, whose samadhi is well established, then they are able to see all of these stages. Just like the Buddha, he had such great wisdom, so he was able to contemplate and see this, and see all of these um, steps and how they arise, how they have causes for their arising. And he taught this. He taught it to Venerable Assaji and he attained to arahantship. And in turn, he took this teaching and taught it to Sariputta, who later became the Buddha's right-hand disciple. And as he listened to this teaching, he attained to Sotapanna. So we see there, right, that he had a lot of wisdom, so he was able to look into this. But for practitioners nowadays, are they able to see this? So where should we look then? Where should we focus? We should look right here at attachment. That whenever or whatever we attach to, suffering arises right there. The physical possessions that we own, we go and attach to those, and suffering then arises. In the Pucha, he gave a, a teaching about this that makes it quite easy to understand so it was like there was a senior monk who went to China and he got or was given um, a very old and expensive uh, antique cup. And he look uh, he looked after that cup very well, he took very good care of it, because he was afraid that one day it would break. But he suffered a lot looking after that cup so well. But when it did eventually break, then immediately he felt at ease. There wasn't any suffering anymore, because the thing was already broken. He didn't need to be afraid that it would break. So we see that people now, um, they have this fear, they have this suffering, but it's over different issues. They're more afraid of sickness now. This COVID virus that's spreading around, people are very cautious and very afraid of this. But even though we're afraid of it, still we may get it because we don't know what karma we have produced. So it's not the case that we're just not scared at all either and we're just brave around these things um, in a heedless manner. And we still do need to be cautious as well, to be, to be cautious through wisdom. But we see that We suffer because of our attachments. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that how things are? And so we train ourselves. And at this point where there's contact, where there's contact between the external sense meter and the internal sense organs, uh, then feeling arises. We need to have mindfulness right here, seeing any liking or disliking that comes up, training ourselves at this point. And we have mindfulness there, teaching the heart telling ourselves these things are inconstant, they're not sure, don't go and attach to them. And we need to try to do this um, whenever this comes up. But it's often the case that we're not able to do it all the time. That mindfulness isn't swift enough to know all these things as they're happening. And uh, when there is this contact, then with a lack of mindfulness, we'll go and attach to it. If we see something, then uh, perhaps we don't like that. Perhaps we've held on to that feeling for a very long time now that we don't like this particular thing. So when we see it again, then instantly we give rise to aversion. And we see that, um, we can also see that it's also true for these things that arise within our hearts, these emotions and thoughts that come up within the heart we can attach to those as well and this shows that our mindfulness is weak so we do need to be careful um, around these things so say like if we see something and we don't like that there's this feeling of aversion that comes up we need to be cautious there because it's also possible to uh, give rise to aversion towards that aversion to not want to be that way, to not want to be a person who is angry, to not want to have this feeling, to not want to suffer. We just want it to go away right now. We don't want to have it. But this isn't correct. We need to look and see it for what it is. We can ask ourselves, well, how long will the suffering be there? This internal pain, how many minutes will it stay for? Because the Buddha taught that these things um, they're not sure. They're a constant. They're not me. So we have a look at it and see just how long it does stay for, and eventually it must pass. So we ask ourselves, well, where has the suffering gone to, and what really was it while it was here? Because we take that suffering to be me, but now that that feeling is gone, then surely I have gone as well. Then. Um, but there is still this feeling of me here. There's still this mind which receives sense impressions. And so what that shows us is that this feeling of sorrow, of sadness, um, it's just a feeling. It's just a natural phenomena that has arisen, did stay for a bit and has ceased. And the same is true for happy feelings as well. Even if we're overly delighted by something, we're really filled up with joy. We ask ourselves, well, how long will that stay for? Does it stay for long? And in no long time it disappears. So the feelings of happiness, they're like this. The feelings of sadness um, are like this as well. But it's often the case that when we have these happy feelings then we get lost in them and we don't see the suffering there within them. We don't see how they're stressful. But say when someone comes and abuses us, they shout at us, they scold us, they say nasty things about us, and we don't like that, then suffering arises instantly. So we should look there at that sense of self that comes up, the me and the mind that arises and contemplate right there. If we're someone who's skilled at separating out out the elements, um, then we should do that. And ask ourselves, well... What is it that they are shouting at? We separate these things out, just like how we can separate the parts of a car and see that really there's no car there at all, or the parts of a house. So we come back and separate out these bodies as well and see that they're not self. We take apart the earth, the water, the fire and the air and see that really there's nothing there within it. And in doing that we see how this body is something that arises, stays for a bit, and ceases. But really there isn't anyone there at all. There's no person who talks, no person who scolds or abuses. And feelings of liking and disliking, there's no person there who feels them. So if we have wisdom that comes up in time, that's swift enough, then it will be able to know this, to see how these things are anatta. But if we go and attach to them, then there's liking and disliking that comes up, but this too ceases. So when we have wisdom, then there won't be any problems around these things, we'll feel at ease. But when there's a lack of wisdom, there's a lack of samadhi, Um, then when we meet with sense impressions, We'll go on and attach to them instantly. And they're suffering. So we contemplate right here at this suffering. And if we're not able to contemplate, then we just endure there. So we should look and see how much energy our hearts have. If we can't contemplate, then we just bear with it. If we're able to contemplate, then we bring up mindfulness here. And that shows that our samadhi is quite good already, that we're able to contemplate. And so we shouldn't get stirred up by these things. We should just practice in this way. Whenever liking or disliking arise, then we look right there. We contemplate and see the nature of them right there. See the Dhamma within them. So we just practice in this way. We do things like this. and We don't doubt about this path of practice because this is the shortcut way. This is the fastest route right here. Having mindfulness. And what do we have mindfulness over? What do we use? Well, we have these meditation words, these mantras or parikamas that we use. And uh, practitioners do need to be using these, do need to be uh, meditating with these. Just like how I teach to chant a lot, to do a lot of this, so, go through this many times, Uh, for lay people to be chanting this a lot, a lot. Um, And as we chant this over and over, then our mindfulness becomes better and better. Because as we're chanting this, the one who we are recollecting is the person who had the highest wisdom, the Buddha, this Puru, the one who knows. So we say Buddha is the one who knows, the awakened one, the joyful one. We recollect the Buddha in this way. So what did he know? He knew that all physicality and mentality is not me, it's not mine. What did he wake up from? He awoke from delusion. And he found joy in the Dhamma. So when we recite these things in this way, then the mind comes to peace in the state of samadhi. And when samadhi is well established, what do we do then? Well, we bring up wisdom, and our wisdom should get better with that firm samadhi. And so we use the samādhi to train, to teach the mind. And when we're chanting, we bring our mindfulness to be firm in that chant. We don't just repeat these verses like a parrot, but rather we settle our minds here with that chanting. And um, sometimes, if that chanting isn't working, then we can contemplate um, instead. Just like uh, this word, samma, sambuddho, that we chant, the, that the Buddha was fully self awakened. And what did he awaken to? He awakens to uh, this state of the physicality and mentality are not self. And he saw this with clarity. So we should contemplate in line with this how the Buddha taught that these things are not self. But the thing is, is that our minds still take. It all to be yourself. They see it in this way because they still have delusion within them. And so we should look right there and train our minds right there. Because the mind that is already trained brings us happiness. So we put in our efforts. We really focus ourselves on this and settle our minds and uh, be intent in this path to not retreat, to not be lazy. And just like how We've had a firm intention to study and gain an education, and we've succeeded in that. And with our work, we've had this firm intention, the sincerity to do our work, and we've succeeded. And so why should meditation be any different? Why should it be any more difficult than these things? But if we think a lot, then it becomes something difficult. We give rise to a lot of doubts. So we need to meditate a lot. We need to be chanting a lot. We need to kind of torture our hearts a bit. And when we practice like this, then we must meet with peace. So for myself, when I started out practicing, I had a huge amount of thoughts. There were so many doubts that went on without stop. And sometimes there was inner peace, and I felt like I'd gone up to heaven. But... On the days when there wasn't any peace, then I felt like I fell into hell. And so my mind cycled between heaven and hell on a daily basis, going back and forth between these realms. And this all happened within my own heart. But I endured with it. And whenever the eye sees a form, or the ear hears a sound, uh, etc., then this can bring up a lot of chaos in the mind. And uh, there's a lot of proliferation that can happen, a lot of emotions that occur in the heart. And uh, we don't like this internal uh, disruption that the mind's in this scattered, um, unsettled uh, place. But when we go and attach to that, then it makes, attached to that, um, disruption internally, Um, then it makes the mind even less peaceful. But in the times when the mind can get into peace, then it feels very light. And even though we may see the same things that we did before, hear the same sounds, taste the same tastes, smell the same odors, um, they're the same as they were before, but the experience we have of them is much lighter than it was before. So we do need to depend upon the samadhi and the wisdom, the mindfulness there within our hearts and really need to put our efforts into this training. And then when we do this, um, then we will gain knowledge, um, of this path of practice. We'll know what it's about. So as we develop our mindfulness, then samadhi will get better and, uh, wisdom. Then can come up. But if wisdom isn't arising, then we need to come back and put our efforts into developing mindfulness. We need to teach our minds and try not to get involved in the things which reduce our mindfulness. And what that is mostly is too much talking, too much chatting with other people. And this will reduce the peace in the hearts. And so we should try chanting a lot, reciting uh, the recollection of the Buddha or this word Buddha, do this a lot, go through itipiso many, many times, to be really intense in this way, to do it with the best of our energy. Perhaps we can get through 108 itipisos ten times a day. And if we can do this, then the mind will definitely reach peace. And we won't have the time to go chatting with other people because we'll be spending that time chanting. And so our hearts won't be all scattered like they were before. So in this act of going through these chants, what we're doing is we're abandoning wrongdoing and we're giving rise to merit. And we do this constantly, always looking after our minds, always bringing them to a state of peace. And when they have this energy of stillness, um, then the practice gets a lot easier. But in in the beginning, it's quite difficult, however, Perhaps we get into a state of kanaka samadhi, this minor or temporary concentration, and then when the mind leaves that state, then everything comes back to what it was before. We experience love and hate just like we did before. There's all this drowsiness, all this doubts, all these things come rushing into the heart. And so we come back and we train ourselves again, we meditate again, until samadhi becomes something that's easier to establish. And whatever feelings come up, we have mindfulness there. If the mind's liking something or disliking something, then we know what's happening. We have our awareness there. And if we can just teach our minds and tell them that these things, they're not sure, they're inconstant, and our minds accept that, then that's enough. But if they don't accept that, then we need to explain in greater detail. We need to ask, well, what is it that we do like? And so we like this body, then what is it about these bodies that we like? And we take them to be beautiful. Well, how are they beautiful? What's really beautiful there? What's inside these bodies? And What do they depend upon? Well, these bodies exist due to breath. And if there's no breath, then the body goes cold. And we won't want to get near it. We won't want to touch it. Just like how some people um, turn disabled in one way and um they lose feeling to half of their body and even um that part of their body can become cold and they don't want to touch it no one wants to touch it and that's what people who um are dead are like that their body is just cool and uh people are afraid of that no one wants to go near it they're afraid of death in this way It's just natural for dead people to be like that, for their corpses to be cold. So therefore we do need to train and to contemplate, um, to see that there is no beauty within these things, and this will relieve the heart's lust. And we can ask ourselves, what is there to be afraid about? What's there to love? What's there to hate? We see that there's a me and a mine within this, but attaching to these things is what brings us suffering. We see that all beings want happiness. None of us want to suffer. And so why would we get angry um, towards anyone? Why would we attach to hate towards anyone? It's because of the delusion in our heart. We still attach to me, myself, and other. But if we look well, then we can ask ourselves, well, what is there to hate? That everyone needs to die. No one wishes to die. Uh, But all of us need to meet with this. And so there's no need to go thinking that we hope that other people die, because they're going to have to die anyway. The people that we uh, don't like, that these feelings we have towards them can change. We can go from liking people to liking them and then disliking them, and go back and forth between that. And especially these days, uh, people can go back and forth very quickly. And so, if we don't like someone, we feel like we want them to just go away. We want to push them away. But what we should do instead is try to push away our defilements. And that these feelings are coming up is because our mindfulness is weak. And when mindfulness is weak, then all of these sense impressions will enter into our hearts, and that's just normal. But if we have energy, then we'll be able to contemplate. If there's no energy, then we just need to endure. There's a sense of self that comes up, but we shouldn't worry about that. Don't make a problem out of that. And just carry on meditating. And as we carry on uh, with this path, then the suffering that we experience will be reduced. The doubts uh, that we have will be reduced. So we just look here at our minds. And uh, if we have good samādhi, uh, then we're able to do that well. We go through this chant every so and do this many, many times, or chant buddho, Dhammo sangho. And uh, through this, then the mind will become less scattered, and samādhi will be able to arise because we're just bringing the mind to one single object of this chant. And it's not with other objects, it's not with its loves or its hates. And if the mind does give rise to feelings like this, then we contemplate and see how there's no me, there's no other there. And we gain knowledge in this way, little by little, that progresses gradually until our samadhi becomes better. And the Kanaka samadhi, this momentary samadhi, it develops into neighborhood or pajara samadhi. And things become lighter here, they become easier. As we leave the state of samadhi, these... Emotions and sense objects arise again, but we're able to fight with them, we're able to put up a fight. We still have feelings of love and hate, but we're able to steadily see into them, gain clarity around these things, and it shows the wisdom has come up. So we should practice in this way, try and train ourselves like this. And we all have faith, so we should put that faith into practice Mm. to see the danger in the cycle of saṃsāra. And the happiness and suffering in our heart, this is the cycle of sangsara. So there's these actions that we produce by body, speech, and mind, which we call kama. And these produce uh, fruits. They have vipaka, kama, their results. And then this pushes us into creating more kilesas, which push us into creating more kama. So it has the cycle in this way, but when we have mindfulness, we're able to fight against these kilesas. And uh, so there is this cycle there, the cycle of uh, ignorance, craving and clinging. Or we could say of kamma, vipaka kamma, and kilesa. But the sotapanas are able to cut this this cycle shorter. Um, They keep the five precepts with purity. And they have the wisdom to see into these things to one degree. And uh, so it's no long time before they're able to overcome these things. But there still is some, the mind still believes to some degree in me and mine. But when wisdom comes up, um, then we're able to cut away at these things. We're able to see with clarity. But this doesn't happen all at once. It happens little by little. And we need to build up our barami while we're practicing. So we have faith, we have effort, and uh, we use these in the practice, developing the practice, and our energy and our hearts gradually increases. So for people who have faith, it's not difficult for them to be generous, for them to support Buddhism, and uh, for them to be intent in this way. It's not tough. But bringing the mind to peace, this is something that, is a bit more difficult but no matter whether we're feeling peaceful or whether we're not feeling peaceful we do it all the same we have faith in this faith in chanting and putting in our efforts and contemplating and reflecting upon the Dhamma but maintaining mindfulness is something that is quite difficult to do but when we have effort there then we're able to do it and sometimes however um, our mindfulness just goes there may be a lot of thinking that's coming up. And maybe we're doing walking meditation, just thinking here and there. We sit down to meditate and we immediately feel drowsy. And we can't just measure our efforts through external means. What we need to do is look at the quality of our effort. If there's enough effort there to be able to practice and to keep our mindfulness, then that's okay. It shows that the quality is quite good. Just like Lumpur Ginari, one of Lumpur Cha's teachers, he did walking meditation for just five steps, and already his mind reached peace. And this is because he had practiced for a long time already, so his samadhi was well-established. Wisdom could arise in just this short space of time. That His mind was always being pulled into samadhi and into wisdom. so we can't measure effort through external means. But there are also things which obstruct our effort. They form a a barrier to effort. And this is a lot of chatting and sending our mind outwards a lot. So we see in the world these days that there are so many things to send our minds out to. There's all this news that we can experience, we can know about the entire world. And it's like we're lifting and holding up the weight of the entire world. And this creates a lot of internal disturbance and it also wastes our time. And so for people who are already quite old, they've managed to put aside their work, maybe given it to their children, and they've put aside external issues, and then they should use this time well. But, and what they're doing is they're using time The time isn't using them. Uh, But for the people who just get concerned with external matters, who are quite foolish people, then time consumes them. But for those with wisdom, however, those who have barami, then they consume time, they use time instead. So we need to set our intentions well to put in our efforts on this practice. And our minds do become better through it. Our samādhi becomes more firmly established. And we see that this is right here within this noble eightfold path. And we'll see clearly as we walk along this path that, there's, that these things are not self. We gain knowledge in this way because of the strength of our samādhi. So we carry on putting in our efforts. And we should be confident um, that... The mind that isn't given to liking or disliking, this right here is the path that will take us to seeing the Dhamma. So we shouldn't get shaken up. We shouldn't get involved with doubts, but rather have confidence here. And so we bring up our efforts. We do a lot of walking meditation, a lot of sitting meditation, and try not to get involved in doubts. But in the beginning there will be these doubts, but we just practice all the same. And the great teachers, they said that our mind matures little by little. We gain understanding steadily, but surely our mindfulness steadily grows. Uh, but at times, um, it's like the mind can just all of a sudden drop into a state of samadhi. And whether we're standing, walking, sitting, lying down, the mind is at peace. So we do need to be careful, though, Um when we reach these states of samādhi, because we can get overconfident and think that all we need to do is focus just on the mind itself, and we'll be able to attain to the dhamma. But there's very subtle laces behind that. And the great teachers, they, they said that we're not yet at that level, but we need to come back and look at what it is that we're attaching to. We ask ourselves, what is that? Well, it's this body. So when the mind retracts from samadhi, then we contemplate this body because we haven't passed over it yet. We haven't passed that test yet. And so we're not able to just look at the mind and attain right there. To be able to do that requires a huge amount of barami and to just look straight at the mind. So what we need to do is use this mindfulness to contemplate the body because we're still attached to this body. So when the mind is at peace, um, then we look at this body. But when we can get in very deep states of samadhi, then we may think that the body is something too coarse, and it would be better to contemplate something that's more subtle. But that's not right. But it's also not the case that this is impossible. Uh, The people who have a lot of parami, they're able to do this, to just contemplate the mind and see into its truth see that it's constant stressful, and not-self. So we take up this path of practice, and we shouldn't doubt about it, but rather be confident and carry on uh, building up wisdom. And through doing this, then, brightness comes up and the path becomes easier. And we see that this really is the path that will take us to attaining to the Dhamma.